Thank you for tuning into the All Funds Investment Podcast. This conversation is with Andrew Lyons, MAI Principal with Cohen Resnick, a leader in the cannabis industry. Andrew specializes in valuation and has helped cannabis companies, investors, REITs, and attorneys understand values related to operating and pre-revenue companies and associated assets. We were fortunate enough to have Andrew bring on Chase Pearson, VP of Finance at Classic Roots Farms. Classic Roots Farms is a cannabis brand that offers top quality flour and concentrates in the state of Michigan. It was really interesting to get both their perspectives in the cannabis market, where we are in the cycle, and how things continue to evolve. The reason we chose to do this video about the cannabis market is because it's been absolutely crushed for the last few years in terms of stock prices and it's finally starting to pick up, see some life. Part of this has to do with the Health and Human Service Agency. They reached out to the DEA to change cannabis from a Schedule 1 drug to a Schedule 3 drug. The other part of this is the market has just been absolutely beaten down. So we'll, we'll see in the next few weeks if the market continues to run or if, uh, you know, just ended up being a little blip on the chart. Just a reminder here that nothing said is tax, legal, or investment advice. Please check out the full disclaimer in the description. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Please like and subscribe if you find information like this helpful and check out the description below to connect with us, Andrew and Chase. Thanks for watching. Tell, tell us about your guys' stories. How, how'd you guys both get into the space? Yeah. Uh, so I... I cut my teeth as, a, as an options trader um, at Merck, um, straight out of college, and uh, ended up getting into cannabis just just uh, two years ago, basically. Um, family friend uh, and uh, one of my uncles are the founders of this company and uh, uh, needed someone to come in and help with operations and getting, uh, you know, as things got a little tougher, it was just not the easiest business anymore. Um, somebody with a little bit more analytical background. Uh, so I they said, "Hey, you want to get into the wheat business and uh, and, and start to, uh, you know, uh, start this from the ground up?" Um, and it was you know, something I couldn't really say no to. Just being able to be on the forefront of a new industry and be able to kind of write the playbook rather than get somebody handing it to me uh, just seemed like a uh, you know a really fun opportunity. Number one, and uh, you know, can, can can put my stamp on it, and uh, you know, great team here, which which I was able to join and. Uh, really believe in what they're doing, so it was a pretty easy decision for me to, to get into the space, even even with the headwinds. Um, yeah, we all like a challenge. Yeah, very very cool. I'm always fascinated by how people enter the space, right? It's always unique. Um, and Andrew, I guess on your side, love to hear your your story as well. Um, yeah, yeah. It's so you know, Cone Rustic, our firm, made a decision almost seven years ago to be a, a national accounting firm that would get into the space and offer as many services as, as it could. And uh, I was uh, a young uh, partner who raised my hand almost instantaneously around that time and said, I, I need to be at the forefront of this. I've got a passion for the plan. I've had that for as many years as I can remember and um, wanted to make sure that our firm understood all the ingredients that were gonna make up the dimensions I wanted to get past the jokes um, and the humor of, of being in the industry to really understand like this impacts a lot of people's lives. Uh, I thought I could make a difference. So I have a real estate appraiser background. And so I um, you know, was able to get some traction in looking at cultivation centers from that real estate perspective. Uh, because of the way the industry has played out with the really large uh, real estate capital requirement upfront in order to grow uh, this product. Uh, I had a lot of clientele and, and clients and was a really good insertion point for me. Um, the, the start of a lot of the larger cannabis companies were generally by real estate professionals uh, and lawyers. 
And so we were able to kind of talk the same game. And, um, and so that's kind of the, that was the start. And then, you know, I ended up growing a little bit on my own uh, to help understand what cultivators, um, you know, um, have to go through on a daily basis and, and thinking through all the things that you think of. So I know exactly how much it costs to get your plan out the door. And, and I thought that would be important into uh, being honest and earnest with, uh, with the industry. And so that's taken some form in uh, my group, which is evaluation group, covers evaluation uh, uh, not only real estate, but also businesses. Uh, and so we work with um, small, single state operators all the way up to the largest MSOs in, in the country. And it's been exciting over the six years. And although there's a little bit of a dip, it's still pretty exciting. And uh, we just want to be able to be helpful as much as we possibly can. Absolutely. Change is a constant situation. And I had to think of one word would be resilience, right? Just uh, there's a lot of posing forces that are coming all, all sides for you guys as to what's happening in the space, uh, both on the business side and the regulatory side. And, and obviously you mentioned state level, right? Where you're at, where you're focused on, on that versus the vertical you're going after. There's a lot of different nuances that you guys are, are seeing. I'm sure challenges. Uh, what, what would you say just from a capital race perspective, you kind of mentioned that briefly or highlighted that. I mean, if someone's starting out, I mean, capital raising in this environment, obviously is tough. A lot of reasons as you outlined, um, how would one go about it or what, you know, what have you seen? Limited success, brothers? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just curious. I know it's, it's tough and it's tough in general, right? Obviously in this space, working with partners and, and unique uh, uh, maybe sponsors and folks that you're, you're in your e ecosystem can be helpful. Um, from others I've talked to you about, I was just curious. Why don't you, I, I can talk about it like today, but why don't you go through historically? I mean, how yeah. does your company, how did, how did that capital raise go and how did it start? So the the, the initial capital raise for, for Class Proof Farm was owner funded, yeah. um, straight cash. Uh, they, you know, uh, they, they got about a, you know, 150-ish, 125 pounds a month kind of uh, small grow off the ground organically. Um, with those high prices, was able to, you know, to get things going and, and started and see some demand for the product and decided that uh, that wasn't necessarily the uh, enough enough scale to really make a dent in what they wanted to accomplish. Right. So uh, set out on a, a five million dollar expansion, raised funds to to finance the expansion and, and get our production up to uh, just north of 300 pounds. Um, so that was, a, you know, 2020, 2021 ish. Uh, finished construction, so uh, kind of before the real downturn, and then you you roll into twenty end of twenty one, beginning of twenty twenty two, and you start to see the the bottom fall out. So um, you know that was a pr pretty standard raise for uh, you know for us, but we were slightly ahead of the you know the, the worst case scenario for for a lot of folks. You know we were just ahead of construction costs, just ahead of um, you know everything COVID related. Um, yeah. So. It, we got fairly lucky with that um, to, to put our facility together. Um, now trying to change anything after the fact, it's it's uh, become you know significantly more difficult um, to to think about getting more capital to uh, you know whatever plans we have now uh, um, kind of get put on hold for for the foreseeable future. And, and at least in Michigan, it seems like uh, people who are established aren't going to be expanding, necessarily raising much capital, and just because it's been so difficult, um, you know, kind of buddy up, get in your bunker and, and ride out the storm here for a little bit. Um, right. 
and then see, see who pokes out the other side, right? So yeah, I, I think that's right, and and that story is pretty consistent across the industry. Friends and family uh, for the initial race, maybe uh, got like you got introduced to kind of VC to kind of get you started, yeah. um, and then it depends on what part of the vertical you're in. Obviously, if you're just running a dispensary, then that that capital requirement is fairly low compared to processing and cultivation, with cultivation being on the extreme end. Uh, so, you know, at, at four to $600 a square foot to get a cultivation started, that's a lot of money. And um, yeah. the list of private lenders was quite small. Um, most were sale lease back opportunities, which was would be hard for an owner to give up. If you, if you had control of the land, then that's a big asset that you're deciding to get off of your books. Uh, and investment bankers and other, you know, investors like assets on your balance sheet. So that becomes a difficult trade-off, um, but makes sense for others. Because of the way 280E is designed, it makes more sense for companies to not have large assets on their books because they can't take the depreciation um, in their estimate of federal taxes. So there's a lot of like ups and downs in terms of how you think about taking on that capital. Right. And then, um, you know, I think we're just, we're in a scenario now where most states are somewhat saturated and or mature. Uh, there's a, a lack of appetite um, this year for significant investment into the space. Uh, and the question is whether or not there are investors out there who are willing to buy some of that paper. Um, in the beginning stages in all of these states, the thing that was most valuable was the license. Uh, and I think the reality now is that those licenses are just not worth what they used to be. And while you hear for brand new states and you hear about licenses going for multi-million dollars, I think the state of most states now uh, is uh, that they're not worth near that much. So I know in Oregon, uh, the last I heard, you could get a license off someone for you know 10 to 50 grand. Um, and in Oklahoma, I think it's cheaper than that. So, <laughs> uh, so it depends. It still depends on what state you're in, but thinking about what that license value is and how that was supposed to be the underlying asset for all these companies, the fact that it's been reduced so much means that there's nothing that the lenders can can take. So, like, what's the point of getting involved if the history of projections is low and it's not as cash flush as everyone thought? And there's no assets there for you to take over if something goes wrong. Uh, and I think that's why you're getting limitations of capital into the marketplace. Interesting. Yeah, I remember the land grab of, of uh, just sitting on licenses a few years back. People were trying to capitalize on that. And to your point, obviously, that the value of what that, what that would be worth now is quite different than what the, the expectation was back then, for sure. Well, and, and it's different now, too, now that uh, social equity rules have pushed out in some of the newer right, states. Right. Um, you know, how do you... How do you think about that if you're a lender, um, and what happens if things goes wrong? Goes wrong if you're a partner in, in one of these uh, in one of these newer companies in New York or Connecticut? Um, how does that work itself out, and what does it mean for the company itself? It, it's just um, it's more complicated. It's different things to think through. Right. Where are we at right now in the business cycle? I've been keeping an eye on. Uh, I'm sure you guys maybe are familiar with the ticker MSOS like the U.S. Uh, cannabis ETF, and last few weeks have been uh, great <laughs> in terms of price returns, but uh, I'd love to get your guys' perspective. Uh, where, where, where are we at in the business cycle right now? 
It's a good question. I, I think before you answer that question, you still have to understand that the market itself is super fragmented and it's very state by state. Uh, and that's due to just different regulations and different number of licenses available uh, to certain states. Some had uh, pretty quick ramp ups to the point of maturation within a really short period of time. Um, and I think Michigan may fall into that category uh, versus some states that still have a, a real lock on the licensure and are building out more slowly and still have some space to ramp up um, and deliver profits to investors and to um, some of the private companies. I would say that we're past the, the public company boom until descheduling and in, until the SEC allows for you know, some of these Canadian publics to transfer over to the New York Stock Exchange. Um, and if you're really looking at any of the companies that are any of the others, they're not really facilitating any public dollars for investment at all. Um, so I don't, we can cut the, that stuff out. So, you know, I would say if, if you're looking at, if we, if we made it kind of a, a football grid, you know, I'd say we're probably like on the 30 to 35 yard line um, in terms of um, where the industry can still go. Um, but we've been knocked back. I think, I think it felt like we were on the 50 and we've gotten knocked back to the 35. And so we're, you know, that aggressive, uh, building up and ramp up that occurred in a lot of states that, you know, had a lot of investment, uh, for a, a, a lot of companies, um, that a lot of states and a lot of investors and some of the lenders, private lenders in the space are reeling right now. Um, it's been, you know, nonstop negotiation uh, for for loans and for property and for a lot of the ways that these companies were financed to get them up and started. And again, that is due to how state by state by state regulations required such this intense capital um, to get started um, without a really good understanding or foundation of how the market was going to play out and how it was going to mature. So, you know, I'd say we're right now waiting for um, recapture of businesses that are teetering uh, or have failed. And uh, we're still kind of waiting for some of the larger M&A to occur in order to consolidate some of these businesses and um, and go from there. But that's that's maybe that's super macro and pretty high level. No, it's all good, actually. Um, that's helpful. I guess just from your guys' point of view, I mean, um, talking about how cannabis companies are valued these days and what does that look like from a valuation standpoint and what you guys have seen or do see kind of moving forward. I'd say instead of me answering that first, why don't you chase what do you when you're trying to put yourself in a position to raise capital or not that there's no employees around. So I'm not saying that you <laughs> if you were having a hypothetical conversation. Mm -hmm. What are um, those businesses, whether it's an investment bank or a larger MSO, um, what are they saying you need to have to be attractive? So the first thing that we've really seen in Michigan specifically is massive price collapse. Um, over the last, call it 36 months, uh, we've probably seen it go from 4,500 a pound down to 800 a pound. Um, so everyone's planning and initial phase was not probably uh, taking it that low. So we have kind of found the bottom, luckily we believe, um, and prices have rebounded this this summer, this year to see 
but that's mainly the, the thing we've been hearing is uh, where are you at on price and what are you going to be, what are your operations? Like a lot of operations are in flux and, and the financing side of it is one thing, but just the operations being stable at this point is, um, is a win. And if you're, if you've got stable operations in the state of Michigan, you're, you're winning uh, in the state right now. So uh, just getting to that baseline of, okay, can we cash flow? Are we not drawing, uh, you know, needing uh, reserve funds, anything like that. So, um, you know, that's kind of been a lot of folks goals, including ours at this point, just getting to, to state of equilibrium uh, to, to survive and get through this, this downturn. So it, it really depends on what part of the vertical you're in and which, and again, which state you're in. So if you're in a fully, you know, seed to sale operation in a state with limited licensure, maybe your market is really small, but if your understanding of where your operations and operating expenses need to be, you, you might still be, you know, throwing some strong cash flow um, at your bottom line. Uh, I would say for investment bankers who are still interested in companies or any interest from larger MSOs, um, yeah, a good handle on operating expenses. And I think they're all looking for the unicorns that have no debt. Um, and there are, and they are out there, right? So, so we've got some clients and individuals that were, or companies that we're talking to that were self-financed or financed through, you know, a relationship through a family office. And we're able to get to a point where they're operating and maybe their cash flows between, you know, 10 and 30 million, mm-hmm. but they have no debt. And that's really like the key there. Um, so many companies that are out there have a ridiculous amount of debt. And then to add to that debt are complications with paying to your 280E taxes. So not only do you have companies that have extraordinary debt, uh, really hard to refinance in today's interest rates and uh, may not be able to renegotiate, barely have the cash flow to pay for that debt service, right? Yeah. Um, and and now how do you get out of that how do you get out of that jam um so it's it's a it's rough it's, i i i i thought a year ago that we'd see a lot of gobbling up of the mso's of, of other companies and that's happening a tiny bit but not at the pace that i think the market would expect it to to go uh, and that's probably a sign of the larger dollars not being available for even the largest companies in in this particular industry which is which is a shame so uh, it, it kind of feels like the bigger companies are just waiting for the smaller companies to completely fail. yeah that, that's a great point uh, from your guys's perspective and that's kind of what i kind of heard echoes of, of similar conversations of folks thing we, we thought we'd have been further along in the trajectory uh to this point but really uh, to your guys's you know what you're saying you know it hasn't been there yet we're waiting for for uh, institutional players to kind of. Well, I think, I think, um, you know, I think companies that are nimble, we can understand how to improve bottom line through operational efficiency, whether that's through um, getting a good grip over your data, uh, seeing all your dashboards and your KPIs in front of you so that you can make some really strong decisions about whether you should do processing uh, or, you know, if it makes sense to spend so much doing R and D uh, or, you know, does it make sense to have this dispensary when there are 15 others down the block? Uh, understanding all that information in front of you so that you can make the tough decisions and, and help streamline. Certainly, you know, in the beginning, in the beginning of most of the markets in the state markets, you had a decision to make where you're going to go for um, lower quality but cheaper operating expenses 
and hope to win that way, maybe dominating, say, the PAX market or something like that, uh, versus doing super high quality, but understanding that your, you know, your costs were going to be in excess of $1,000 a pound uh, for your OPEX. So what you really needed, like really good consumer um, uh, success stories and a consumer following in order to be a profitable company. But both of those were working in the beginning. And I, and I don't know how that's working. I think every company's got a different philosophy on that, at least from a cultivation standpoint. Yeah. And, and even from our end of it, we see that, you know, that, that does, you know, to build that brand recognition that you need to, to be a sustainable, small, small batch producer, um, becomes very difficult. 280 takes, puts, puts a massive hampering on that. Not yeah. no free flow and cash flow for marketing and advertising is tough. Yeah. Uh, very, you know, very strict regulations on marketing and advertising as well can be risky. Um, you know, so it's, it's a tough, it's a tough game to play of like, what, what's my return going to be on that one? Uh, you know, when there's not a ton of free flowing cash and investors aren't willing to, you know, to pony up more for marketing, say, you know, we're, it, it may be that way in other industries where we're just not seeing that, that type of spend at the cultivation level. Yes. The dispensary level, you're seeing a lot of it. Um, a lot every, you know, going up and down the highway in Michigan, every other billboard is cannabis right. uh, in the Detroit area now. So, um, you're, it's full, it's full front there, but you know, you're not seeing the, uh, you know, when compared to alcohol, you're not seeing the Budweiser billboard, you're seeing the, you know, the, uh, the local uh, party store billboard more so yeah. in this state. So for us, it's been a tough, tough angle to, to, to decide whether to put some spend towards that. We've gone the other way and said, all right, we're going to partner with a dispensary that uh, dispensary, largest dispensary chain in Michigan, uh, let them take care of that part of it for us. Let's just, let's get, let's get better at growing weed. Let's get our cost per pound down. Let's be as competitive as we can on that at the highest quality we can, we can produce. Um, so really trying to get that cost per pound down, like you said, like under a thousand is, uh, you know, all in is, is a big win right now. Um, we can, we can start scratching, scratching ahead. And, and, and that really depends on where, where you are. So, you know, Michigan yeah, has Michigan. operating costs that are going to be a lot higher than if you're growing in Southern California, um, you know, or in Oregon. Um, and so you have to understand that it's a state by state game. It's not, it's not, you can't look at operating expenses in one state and compare them to another. How, how about in terms of, uh, you know, I guess uh, price of product goes, because, you know, I've seen, I'm, I'm from Chicago, so I see, you know, in Chicago, uh, the price is significantly higher than, you know, what I've seen in Michigan. Um, is that is that taxes or, or you know, kind of how, how is there such a big price discrepancy from state to state? I mean, it's supply demand. Yeah. <laughs> so that we're, Illinois is really slow to release licensure. And so it really favored some of the first licensors who were able to grow. And if you remember back in Chicago, when the first dispensaries opened for adult use, that there was a lack of supply. Uh, and so that continued, the state was really good at the kind of that stranglehold on supply. And so it limited some of the price deflation that we've seen in other states where you have multiple entities, multiple companies, multiple stores all opening at the same time. Um, and yeah, it's been, I think it's been a shock for Michigan for sure. I thought yeah. that you you'd keep up over a thousand dollars a pound and I'm kind of surprised that it, you've dipped so much so quickly. Yeah. The, the amount of licenses, you know, uh, basically it's an unlimited license state. Uh, you know, if you can get a municipality license, uh, the state will basically get you, get you your state license at this point. So if you can find a municipalities that's opened up, uh, willing to grant you a license, uh, you can, you can go to work. Um, and they continue to come online. People are still, 
still trying to get in, uh, probably against, uh, you know, some advice I'm, I'm hoping they receive. Uh, but, but they just continue to pile in and, and, and realize that the number one, the ramp time to get a cannabis building, uh, you know, a cannabis facility up and running is not what people think it is. Um, it becomes a lot more challenging to get things online because it is a, you know, it's a 10 week grow cycle. So, uh, it takes time for changes to be implemented, uh, for your employees to get reps, uh, and continually hone their skills. It's like every, every building is its own environment, right? So, um, one guy could come into our building that, that had a successful grow somewhere else and have no idea what he's doing as far as the operations go. So it, it takes some time where, uh, you may not be producing revenue, uh, you know, that's, that's substantial. If you have any problems with any, uh, you know, testing problems, things like that can really, really set you back a long, a long period before you're off to the market, but you're pot committed. So you're going to continue to forge forward and continue to press the market with more products. And it keeps happening every day. Um, you know, consumer demand is super high in Michigan as well. Uh, you know, what are we second or third now? Yeah. Um, in the, in the country in, in volume. Wow. So, uh, there's plenty of demand and, you know, tourism is obviously a big part of that. Um, uh, but, you know, con continually seeing the, the overall state sales through the roof and the price not really following it, um, is, is a little tougher for the cultivators. It's, um, it's going to be a depth. I mean, I think, I think everyone here recognizes that there's a depth. The industry is fighting some other headwinds that are pretty strong. Uh, not only the interest rate environment and inflation, which just increases everybody's operating expenses. Um, the tax thing obviously is still a significant hurdle, um, but the adoption by the mainstream of this product is still substantially lower than I think the industry thought it would be five years ago. Right. Um, and I still think personally that's due to uh, education there's just not enough education out in the mainstream to help individuals who maybe are on the sides uh, to become kind of better adopters on a, on a regular pattern. Um, so we'll, we'll see as generations change and, um, you know, Gen Z gets older, we'll see what kind of that adoption may look like in, you know, in 10 years time. Um, but that might, that might change things. I mean, if I think, you know, it's like 10 to 13% of mainstream adoption. You know, if that goes up to 20 to 25%, that could be really significant revenue increase for, for most companies. Um, we'll have to see. But I, I think that, you know, the announcement of potential descheduling uh, obviously is one of the reasons, Michael, why you saw prices jump uh, on the stock market. Yeah. We're, we're familiar with these media blitzes every <laughs> now and then and seeing how the stock market works. Oh, yeah. So we'll, we'll see how much traction this really has with the, the guys on the hill. Um, I personally am, um, you know, tend to kind of withhold some of my feelings of joy about it um, just because I think the reality of how slow it will take actual laws to change uh, and all the different units of the government that have to work together to understanding how this would impact all the states is going to take a significant amount. Yeah. How's, uh, in terms of, I guess, have interest rates impacted things? And in terms of like banking, you know, what are, what, what are companies doing now on the, you know, in terms of banking on the banking side? You guys with the credit union? Yep, exactly. So credit unions are, uh, you know, at least willing to give us an account. Uh, we face some, some struggles compared to other industries, you know, uh, all cash operations. So we don't get, we don't have an American Express card, things like that. Right. So just uh, a little bit of operate, you know, we're, we're cash operators all the time as far as our, 
uh, you know, our payables, receivables, everything is, is no, we don't really have much leeway, um, you know, so, and then, but it's, but it's still normal banking. Uh, you know, we got a debit card. We can, we can send ACHs, wire transfers and, and functionally bank. Uh, it's not as, as advanced and as simple or as uh, inexpensive as another industry, um, but we can get it done. Uh, that was one of the big, you know, one of the big question marks we had, you know, our company had going into this industry. Are we going to have to have safes on premise and armored trucks going and moving hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash and going to the paying our employees in cash? And uh, luckily it all, you know, uh, somebody was a little smarter than that and uh, allowed it to happen. Uh, you know, credit unions took some risk, take it on. But uh, I think they've seen, um, you know, a positive, overall positive from that. It's, from that experience. It's amazing. You know, seven years ago, I heard stories of um, accountants going to check in on, on, you know, director of accountants for companies and being um, uh, led to a car in the lot behind the building <laughs> with a trunk full of cash. Oh, you should probably call this too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that was happening. And obviously there's been a lot of uh, good things that have happened with the banking industry in terms of, you know, now dispensaries have uh, a something inside of their vault where they can put cash right in. It's got a reader, it goes into a lock safe and then Brinks comes and picks it up for the bank. Uh, and automatically they've got electronic funds in, in their account. So it's it's way more advanced than before. The industry still faces relatively high fees for banking compared with every other industry. It's absurd. Very. Um, and then, uh, but the good news is that there are some smaller regional banks which are getting involved not only for accounts but also for direct lending. Okay. Uh, and so that's a change. So there's a misnomer out there that banks can't be in the space, and that's not 100% true. Some banks have figured out how to deal with the political situation, the files that they have to file, and the risk tolerance of their boards to be able to work with some um, with some companies. The reality is that most credit unions, with the exception of only a couple, have a limit to the number of accounts that they were willing to keep. And that has to do with their own insurance. So um, you may get, in some states, you, you might be out of luck. You have to call around before you can find someone who's willing to take your account, which is still a little frustrating and maddening. All the more reason why some kind of descheduling. Um, I know the Safe Banking Act was something that we talked about for a couple of years. And um, you know, I think now we're just talking about actual descheduling, but We'll see. Good things are happening, yeah. but it's slow. That's you know, great transition. What what what's the latest on that? I'm not the best person to talk to about the um, political back and forth. Um, I think that there again, there have been some really nice news stories that have come out for you know the heads of some of the largest MSOs who are having direct conversations with with senators and people on the Hill. And there's a, a new push uh, to get something done. I think the reality of how it gets done, how the FDA gets involved, how do you deal with interstate commerce, which I think is one of the bigger issues, uh, all have an impact on the industry. And I, I would say the other thing that's having a huge impact on the industry is this continued um, um, power of the black, of, excuse me, of the illicit market, which, um, you know, if you go to any urban city in the United States and you see a CBD store that advertises Kratom or will be advertising THC, even though it's not necessarily selling THC, it might be selling THCA or some other CBD derivative. And for companies uh, like Classic Roots who are trying to operate in total compliance 
uh, and under all state state laws, it's got to be really frustrating to know that people are buying what's not really actual THC product and doesn't have the same rigor uh, of testing. Um, uh, you know, to get in here, I had I got completely suited up. I had to wear a beard net. I had gloves in my hands just to go into the rooms where some of the flowering was happening. And that's not happening with that part of the industry. Um, and so, you know, and most people don't realize the difference. The education isn't there. So I think descheduling should happen, but how it's going to happen, it's going to take a lot of great and smart minds to get together and come up with compromise laws that benefit everybody in the industry. That makes sense. Absolutely. Very cool. Yeah. Obviously a lot, a lot of happening, a lot of things happening right now from headwinds, opportunities, you know, kind of weathering the tide, as you guys mentioned, getting through kind of where we're at today. Hopefully there's some change, um, positive change going, coming forward for a lot of this that's happening right now. Um, any, any thoughts, I guess, of, of obviously what, how you started, maybe Jace, in the past, what you would have done differently now, kind of getting into it. Any, now that your eyes are open, shall we say? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's ever, it's an ever uh, evolving process. And we're, you know, we don't know, we don't know everything about growing cannabis. We know that. That's the thing is um, we have to go into it with like wide eyes and, and trying to figure it out. Um, you know, getting a lot more reps. Uh, for our crew, for our, our cultivation, like I said before, it's a slow, it's a slow turnover. So um, tempering expectations was one of the things that really um, could have saved, probably been a positive to us in the beginning. Um, you know, thinking, getting out a little bit over our skis, essentially, in, the, in those terms, right. like trying to organic growth, continually cash flow, not bite off more than you can chew, um, you know, ensuring that you have the demand before you scale your product. Um, you know, cause it, it, say you, you ramp up your cultivation and you have, uh, excess, a hundred excess pounds a month and it just starts sitting on your shelf. It, it starts to age quickly. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of the shelf life isn't that long, uh, with anything, even, even if you're in the edible space, uh, you know, six months to a year, that time goes fast. Um, if, if your demand isn't there and starts to sit and the buyers, the buyers are the, really the guys that control everything, of course. And they're, they look at a harvest date and say, oh, that was harvested last year. We, what are we going to buy that for? We can buy fresh stuff, same price, even lower price, maybe, um, you know, to pass on to our consumers. You might end up taking that crop that you thought was going to be a spectacular crop and ends up getting turned into distillate. And, and your, uh, you know, your, your hard work and labor of love was just basically deleted, you know, taking those, uh, the, the botanical and the, the terpene properties out of the, out of the cannabis, putting it into just the THC, so all your hard work, anybody can grow THC, right? But everybody that's putting in the time, effort, and uh, and like the love and the care and that a lot of people in this industry have, uh, all that stuff can go uh, to waste very quickly. So, um, you know, trying not to get too big, too fast. Um, you know, we built a state-of-the-art facility, which was uh, a huge, a huge asset for us that, um, you know, we can trust that our building is going to run. We're going to have great environmental conditions. We're going to have uh, fantastic lighting, uh, the best ability to create the best possible product we can. Um, and then just knowing that it's going to take time uh, to, to make everything perfect, right? Um, you know, you, you don't put a plant in the ground and get, get money tomorrow. Sorry, guys. It's just not the way it's going right. to work. Um, we wish it would work that way, but, uh, you know, it's it takes a long time and a lot of effort before you get to see those returns. Um, so just... You know, everybody thought it was going to be a gold rush, right? Uh, the only guys getting rich are the guys selling the shovels. So, right, uh, right. 
kind of not, not thing, but maybe we should have been selling some shovels. That might be <laughs> Uh, I like to tell people that right now businesses need to concentrate on the three P's, SOPs, IP, and popularity. Uh, SOPs, you need to make sure that you've got operational excellence, that you know exactly how long it takes for your employee to get from one end of your facility to the other. And are you minimizing the amount of time that it takes to get your product out the door? Uh, you have to have really strong SOPs in place in whatever part of the vertical that you're in in order to cut down on production time, in order to see profitability, number one. You can do that through a lot of a lot of different ways. Again, I talked about um, looking at your data, understanding your KPIs, having somebody come in and take a look at your internal systems and your software systems and your ERP solutions. All that stuff needs to be taken care of on the top. Your IP. Um, you're a cultivator, you've got some new genetics now that are really popular, that are doing really well. Genetics are, are tough. You need to have the right staff and the right people to be thinking about it. Um, but there's also IP in terms of branding uh, that's also occurring really quickly across the industry. We still don't have a national brand. I think that we've got a couple that are close, but they still don't have a national brand yet, right? We don't have a Coca-Cola or a Pepsi. Uh, and so when does that happen? What does that mean? How do you protect your IP out there as a business? Because ultimately it may be that somebody can do what you do better than you for cheaper. But if you've got that IP that you figured out during your process, then you've got something that you can hang on to and something that's worth something. Uh, and finally, just popularity. The reality is that you see companies, uh, for example, Sizzy in California went nuts um, and went from like a, a middle of the pack to leading the pack. Um, in just a, like six to nine months. And like, how do they do that? Well, it was like super aggressive marketing and campaigning. Uh, so, you know, you have to beat the streets in order to drum up some of that consumer demand. And then you obviously need the product and the IP to try to keep it there as much as possible. And there are some companies that have been able to do that and they've been sophisticated in thinking through their contracts, how they work with other operators, white labeling, all that good stuff. So there's a lot more that, that can be done. Um, it's a complex industry and requires a lot of help. And, uh, you know, you just hope that companies like Plastic Roots and others are, you know, willing to uh, work with other companies in order to help them guide them through this, uh, what could be a really profitable, but really uh, tough part of the industry right now. Yeah. yeah, I think that that's great advice. I know you got Snoop Dogg and a couple other, you know, big brands coming down the line. So, <laughs> well, I know, uh, Chase, I know you gotta get, get to golfing. Um, yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Any, uh, I guess any, any final thoughts, uh, you know, Andrew Chase, any, anything interesting you guys are seeing in the market, anything, you know, people should be keeping their eyes on in the coming months. Uh, you know, the, the products that are rolling out are still really kind of exciting. Um, you think about how, there's been this convergence of pre-rolls um, and butter, batter, and uh, like a lot of different fun things for, for people in different ways for people to consume, uh, I think is really kind of fun and, and kind of exciting. So it's dynamic and the amount of SKUs and products that are being pushed out right now is kind of mind blowing. It makes it harder for a company like, like Chase's to keep track of all those things. Yeah. Uh, but it does mean that there's still probably a lot of innovation that's left in the marketplace in terms of 
how we get product to market, how consumers take that product and, and what it all means. And from our end of it, the, the base of all of those new SKUs and everything is extraordinarily high quality cannabis. It's usually the main ingredient. It's hard to end up with a good with a good rosin or a good resin if you got lousy cannabis going into it. You just gotta have that initial input needs to be fantastic to end up with a fantastic product at the end. Um, and as the consumer, uh, you know, the consumer becomes more educated every day, uh, you start to see that that higher end, higher quality, higher value stuff at each price point um, start to start to kind of work its way to the top, right? Um, so that's you know that's where we sit. Uh, our our goal is to produce the uh, you know the best cannabis we can at each price point, uh, wherever it falls in the market. Uh, given the uh, you know currently Michigan relies a lot on uh, you know the paper results uh, of the testing uh, more so than the look, the smell, the feel, the taste. Um, so we're really trying to blend both of those things together um, and, and continually educate the, you know, the consumer on that. And as they, they try those better products and continually do it, that's better for the people that, who are doing the right things at the, at the back end of the cultivation. So um, we know it's going to be a long process, but that's kind of how uh, our approach is going to be to it. So. That's awesome. awesome. That's great. Well, uh, this has been great. Uh, Chase, do you want to kick, start us off? And then Andrew, afterwards, where can people go to you know, connect with you guys and, and learn more about your companies? Awesome. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so you can find us on WeedMaps, uh, ClassicRootsFarm.com. Uh, we do have a pretty wide uh, delivery radius down in the state of Mich uh, Southern Michigan. Um, you know, we got a dispensary. Uh, we're vertically integrated, small dispensary, but uh, you can get our products there. Um, you can catch our products at, uh, at Loom, biggest dispensary chain here in Michigan. Um, they carry our products, uh, do a great job of featuring, um, featuring our stuff and, and providing at a great price point. Uh, they're not, they're not taking advantage of the customers. Um, so we're real happy to do business with them, um, you know, sharing the, the benefits and, you know, you can find us on the, all the socials, classicroots.farm. Um, give us a follow, like, uh, I'm sure our marketing team would love to hear from everybody. Uh, if anybody interested in anything, you can find us there. Uh, Cone Resnick, C-O-H-N-R-E-Z-N-I-C-K. We have 26 offices around the country. We are one of the leading providers of audit, tax, and a multiple uh, amount of advisory services uh, in the cannabis, cannabis industry as well as a lot of other industries. Uh, so I'm happy to take anybody's interest or questions. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Andrew Lines, L-I-N-E-S, uh, at Cone Resnick. Uh, or maybe you'll see me at one of the various free sample days, uh, which I try to attend to as much as I can in this industry. This has been great. Great, gentlemen. This is, this is a fun conversation. Awesome. All right, guys. We're going to get back to it. Thank hey, you, guys. Really gosh. appreciate you having me Hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please make sure to like and subscribe for more content like this. And reach out if you're interested in starting a fund, whether it's a hedge fund, VC fund, um, whatever fund you're thinking. Uh, we can help you out. And let us know if there's any other topics that you'd like for us to cover. Thanks for watching.